Good morning to you, and how do you do this cold morning? <laughs> Good morning to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Again, I'd like to thank Pastor for his wonderful generosity to me and my sister in Christ and seminarian. Uh, thank you for having us, Pastor. The promise of salvation. Isaiah was a sixth century prophet in Judah over a period of 40 years. His ministry paralleled the rule of four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. The, na the name Isaiah means the Lord saves, which is a concise summary of his prophecy. Isaiah 6.1 tells us that he received his calling in the year King Uzziah died. The prophet describes his commissioning by God to minister to the needs of the post-exilic community. This became the text for Jesus' first sermon in Nazareth in which he identified himself as the role of the Savior. Isaiah knew that a time when God would show his favor remained indefinite, but he knew it was sure. He would comfort you for all those who mourn. When this prophecy is fulfilled, the mourning and complaining would stop, not only from the people in Jerusalem, but from all of the nations. Isaiah speaks of a crown, which is probably flowers, and which would replace the ashes which a mourner usually places on his head. Oil for the skin would once again be used, rubbing gladness rubbing gladness of the sadness of the mourner who would not rub the skin with oil. The purpose of the task was to display God's splendor, and splendor here refers to that which brings praise, pride, and glory. The long-term results would bring the restoration of Jerusalem and the surrounding cities that had been in ruins. The new situation of salvation produced by the prophet's proclamation would bring foreign labor so that all of God's people could tend to the Lord's work. Not just from Aaron's family, but the entire nation would be priests of the Lord, being the ministers of God to all nations. Isaiah added to his promise of salvation a discussion of God's reasoning. God had decided to restore the justice he loved while doing away with injustice he despises. God would pay the wages of suffering to his people and sign an eternal contract with them that he promised his justice. This would set them apart so that everyone would notice that they were different. This is an inclusive language, my friend. It includes you and me. We are all God's people. Red, yellow, black, or white, we are all created, and we are by him, and we are blessed by him. When Isaiah had this vision, he reacted to the message with a hymn of praise at the magnificent work that God was going to accomplish through him. God would cause his righteous order, the proclamation of his greatness, to spring up as a plant so that all the nations would see. God's messenger was presented in such a way that those who saw him would see God's salvation and his righteousness. <coughs> Centuries later, God provided confirmation for the promises he gave to Isaiah. The virgin's birth is the central theme in Luke's gospel. Mary, the virgin, was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. The text comes from Deuteronomy 22, verse 23. It describes an engagement. 
the result of a public ceremony between witnesses by which a man and woman were legally considered married, but not living or sleeping together. At this stage, the bride's price had already been paid to the, family, to the woman's family, the dowry, and the man had legal responsibility for the woman. This engagement could not be broken only through divorce. Engagements usually lasted for about one year, with the girl living with her parents. Often, the girl was only 12 or 14 years old. That's interesting. We all know the story quite well of the visit of the angel Gabriel, who told Mary that she was the chosen one to bear Christ's child. Mary is the highly favored one, the recipient of a special blessing from God. She had experienced God's undeserved, unmerited grace in a special way. This did not change who Mary was or gave her a status beyond other people. It singles her, it singles her out as a special instrument who God chose to use his gracious promise of salvation. But Mary, the highly favored one, became greatly troubled. She asked, how could this be? I've never known a man. So Mary pondered these thoughts in her, word, in her hearts, trying to find a meaning for them and what steps she should take in light of them. She had never received such a greeting. The angel Gabriel understood her troubled mind. So the angel repeated the comforting words that he had said to Zachariah the priest who had heard earlier that his wife, Elizabeth, would also bear a child. The angel said, do not be afraid. Fear, my friend, the element of fear is indicative of the human personality. Fear, fear, fear. Last week, two weeks, I met with pastor as he went over my previous sermon, and he said, oh, Gloria, you did a good job, but you were nervous. And I said to myself, nervous? I was scared spitless. <laughs> <laughs> I am sure that the angel's word did not ease Mary's confused mind immediately. Not with a divine birth announcement of a baby Jesus. This baby would be the new David, king over all Israel. But what a kingdom, an eternal rule without end. No other king had such a kingdom. Who could this baby be? But Mary's was not the only divine miracle. Her cousin Elizabeth, the barren one, the aged one also would be the rejoicing mother. Her six months pregnancy verified that God's work in mysterious, wonderful ways. My friends, there is nothing that is impossible with God. So whatever you are wrestling with, whatever your issues are, be patient. Because God's delay is not God's denial. In humble submission, Mary was now ready to serve God and follow his will. As pregnancy lifted Elizabeth's disgrace, it brought poor Mary. As, as pregnancy lifted her disgrace, it brought disgrace to Mary in the sense that she was an unwed mother. She became a social outcast. I can relate to that. I was an unwed mother also, so I know where Mary is coming from. Ready to serve, but also anxious to see the evidence of God's other miracle, Mary headed for the hill country to visit her cousin Elizabeth. 
Can you, could you imagine, can you visualize a 14-year-old teenager running through the country hills with her skirt held high, the wind in her ear, and she was just going and going and going, praising God as she headed to her cousin Elizabeth. When you are the bearer of good news, my friend, you have to tell somebody. Who do you tell when you get excited? Who do you tell when you get a promotion? Who do you tell when you get a new job? Who do you tell? You have to tell somebody. So I can understand and I can relate to Mary because I do get excited. <laughs> I get excited and I can understand that. If I were in Mary's place, I would be tripping too. When Mary met Elizabeth, the first words of greetings brought encouraging confirmation in two ways. The baby leaped in Elizabeth's womb for joy, and the spirit spoke. I can relate to that also. As a mother, I remember those kicks and boots from my son. And even though he's 30 years old, whenever we gather for Thanksgiving or Christmas, I reminded him of what I went through to him. So remember your mama at Christmas time. <laughs> the spirit-inspired words from Elizabeth rained blessings on Mary. This distinguished Mary from all other women. She had God's grace and she had God's presence. This blessed child placed Mary in the position of blessing. God has turned his eyes to Elizabeth, but placed his savior in Mary. Even before his child, Jesus was recognized as Lord, the Messiah of God, who is the fulfillment, he is the promise of salvation. Such recognition came from poor, humble folks in the Judean city country. Not royal people, not from the White House, not from Washington, but poor, humble people. And the same humility characterized Mary. Now we see why she was so blessed. She believed in God's promise. She expected God to accomplish what he said he would do. Faith brings blessing, my friends. Mary's faith displayed itself in praise in a song resembling Hannah's in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Mary praised God for his great acts. Her praise included two actions, giving God glory to God and rejoicing in the presence of the action of God. The Lord had looked down on Mary and her oppressed people with loving care. He saw the low economic and social status in which they had lived. Now God had placed her in a state of blessing because of her son, Jesus Christ. From now on, throughout all history and generation, people will recognize who she was, and she did nothing to deserve it. The mighty God had caused this with his mighty acts. The psalmist declared that everything that has bread praised the Lord. Have you praised God lately? Holy is his name. See him as the transcendent God who, unique, who is uniquely pure and separated from sinful humans. Yet, this Holy One is totally separated. He reached down in mercy, finding in each generation people who would worship him. He attacked the proud, removing them from power and position. He pays careful, loving attention to the marginalized, raising them up to new positions of importance. The poor receive food from him, while the rich are sent away hungry. He calls us, you and me as his people, to take up the same mission as he gives hope to the world's hopeless. No wonder Mary praised God. Like the psalmist, Mary declared, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. For when the praises go up, the blessings come down. 
Have you praised him for the blessings that he has showered upon you? I don't know about you, my friends, but when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he has done for me, my heart cries out, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for saving a sinner like me. I love to praise him. Do you know why? I'm glad you asked. Because Jesus Christ exemplifies the underdog in each and every one of us. Such praise reflected historical reality. The history of Israel tells the story of God's mercy. If we begin with Genesis 12 and read onward, we will see that a picture begins to emerge, and this motif runs throughout the 39 books of the Old Testament. Each page recalls God's promise of salvation for an undeserving people. Luke did not limit his horizons. He stretched his vision way back to the scriptures at the beginning point. Every bit of God's historical plan and every scriptural promise from this focal in the span of years that Luke wrote about. The 400 years since Malachi had darkened Israel's vision, even through God's work, has been difficult to discover. But he once again spoke, let there be light. The light of two baby boys, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, changed the course of history forever, my friends. God has completed his promise of salvation to save his people. The birth of Jesus Christ completes the picture that God was painting and the story that he was writing for centuries. And now Jesus Christ invites us to be part of this wonderful story that never, ever grows old. He has opened a path for us to be in constant relationship with us, with him. He invites us to confess our faults and receive his forgiveness regardless of what you might have done or where you might have come from, so that we can experience the salvation that he has promised. Then we can join in Elizabeth in her praise, in Zachariah in his Magnificat, and in Mary in, his, in, in Zacharias, I'm sorry, I'm Zacharias in his Magnificat, and Mary in her Magnificat in singing, did I get that right? <laughs> and praise to God for his mercy, forgiveness, and salvation plan. This is the good news for the people of Yanhus. God bless.